Happy Wednesday, everybody. This is Megan with the VBAC link, and we have our friend Julia with us today. And Julia's story is going to be a CBAC, which I love CBAC stories. I know that here on the VBAC link, you think, oh, like it should all be VBAC because that's what we talk about, which, yes, it is main focus of VBAC. But we don't forget about our CBAC mamas. I was a CBAC mama myself. And it is so important to talk about that as well, because just like every first time birth is maybe unexpected to go into a cesarean, so are those VBAC births. Sometimes those are unexpected, sometimes they're desired. And so we really like to talk about everything here and share all the pros and the cons of everything. And I am excited for Julia's story. Um, I feel like in so many ways, even though I've had a VBAC, I can connect to CBAC so deeply as well because I've had a CBAC. And that CBAC wasn't actually something that I desired necessarily, but that CBAC was something that I actually found a lot of healing through. So I'm excited to go into this story. But of course, you know, we have a review of the week and we're always looking for more reviews. So if you haven't yet, feel free to jump over on Apple or wherever you are listening or email us, Google, and send us a review. We would love to know about how you feel about the VBAC link podcast and how these stories of all these incredible people are changing the way you're viewing and the things that you are learning along your journey. This review is actually on our um, VBAC course for our ultimate parents VBAC course. It says, this is from Danny and it says, this course gave me the knowledge and confidence I needed to move forward with my plan to have an age back which if you didn't know, HBAC is home birth after cesarean. It says, when you realize VBAC is just birth and hear the studies and insights that eliminate the myths and evoke a lot of the fear in many C-section mamas, you realize you've got this. I was empowered to find a provider that truly supported me and realized how much my gut was telling me my previous provider was not the way to go. I can't wait to share my HBAC story when the time comes. Thank you so much for all you do. And thank you, Danny. That is that is amazing. And that is what we want to do here at the VBAC link. We want to share all the pros, the cons, and prepare you the way you need to be prepared, whether that is for a vaginal birth after cesarean or a cesarean birth after cesarean or a home birth, you know, whatever that may be, we want to empower you and put the tools in your pocket for you to use. So if you have any other questions about our um, online course. We actually have them for birth workers as well. We have certified doulas, which also, if you're looking for a doula, check out our website. We have so many incredible doulas all over the world, like seriously, all over the world. Um, you can go to the vbacklink.com and you can click courses or find a doula and you can learn more about our online self-paced course. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. 
Okay, Julia, I am so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for being here with us, for taking the time out of your day and being someone to share a very vulnerable space because I know sometimes CBAC is is vulnerable. It is vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But I'm looking at your picture of you holding your baby after your C-section and it is beautiful and you are glowing. You are absolutely glowing. I mean, your smile is amazing. So I will turn the time over to you to share about your experience about CBAC. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here at the VBAC link. You know, I wanted, you know, I had the goal of sharing a VBAC story, but I am proud of myself for coming back and, you know, sharing my CBAC story, regardless of how, you know, even though it didn't turn out the way I had planned it to. And I hope that, you know, my story can help at least one other person. Yeah. As your stories have helped me. Yeah. (laughs) It definitely will. And I remember having that feeling too, like wanting so bad to share my VBAC story on the birth hour, actually, you guys know the birth hour podcast. Yeah, I was like, I am going to be a VBAC. I'm going to share on the the birth hour. And then it was not a VBAC. And then I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, and I did. I kind of was like, "Uh, I won't submit it. But like, I regret that. I totally regret that. And then I actually did submit my feedback story as well, but they get so many submissions as well, but I'm so glad that you are here and that you are proud of yourself because you should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So I'll start out by just kind of tracing back to my first pregnancy because it, you know, paves the way for my second pregnancy and birth, (laughs) Right. Right. if if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Going back, starting in October of 2018, um, my husband and I had just gotten married and we were starting, uh, ready to start a family. And the, my story has a bit of infertility in it. Um, so I'll touch on that if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I started trying to get pregnant in October 2018 and wasn't getting my period. And I decided to kind of take matters in my own hands very quickly and go see an OB. And they started me on medicated cycles with them. And I did three of those. Those were unsuccessful. September uh, 2019, I went to a reproductive endocrinologist. And the next, or in November, so two months later, we did our first IUI and it was successful. And so that's my how my first daughter was conceived. And just wanted to touch on just, you know, infertility. It's easy to glaze over now but it it does play a big part in my story too because you know just another you know you know I thought that my body could do something that we that is already always talked about happening happening very easily and it didn't and so that was kind of you know crushing at the time and still is part of who I am and and also dictated my my feelings uh with my c-sections so we, uh, I'll fast forward to my finding out that I would need a C-section with my daughter, Charlotte. My pregnancy with her was uncomplicated, um, aside from happening during COVID and just not having a lot of support during that time. I just mm-hmm. did it, you know, online birth class, um, through my hospital. That was just very strict, you know, very cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't really get the opportunity to explore like I had interviewed some doulas you know in April 2020 and then it never came to fruition but 
when I was 37 weeks, I found out that Charlotte was breech. There had been like no indications of it up until that point. My OB does just like a check at 36 to 37 weeks or 36 weeks to see if baby is head down. And I was a little late for that. You know, I, that appointment was a little uh, further down the, the, yeah, delayed because I didn't get seen until 37 weeks. And then at that point, it's kind of a lot to find out your baby's breach then because efforts to try and turn them are not as easy. Um, it happens, I'm sure, but not for me. And I had the opportunity to try an ECV, an external cephalic version, but I opted not to. I just didn't have a good feeling about it. So um, they scheduled my C-section for August 6th. I will say that um, this was hard for me to cope with. I was, I did have a period of grieving my whole pregnancy. I, you know, people would ask me what my birth plan was. And I said, you know, just anything but a C-section. And that, you know, when that happened to me, I felt like I jinxed myself, but I know that's not necessarily true. And so her birth was on August 6th of 2020. I went in at noon. They did all, they gave me a COVID test. They, you know, hooked me up the machines and um, there was a little delay because my OB was in a dealing with a vaginal birth. And he, I remember at the time I was like, even then I was like, you know, that kind of hurts, you know, that the, the person having mm. the vaginal birth is, um, you know, getting precedence over me or just, just was one last dig that I wasn't getting yeah. the vaginal birth that I had hoped for. Cause I, I had been hoping for a vaginal birth, but anyways, that, you know, they took me back at three o'clock. And my daughter was born shortly after, and I had no problems with breastfeeding. She latched quickly. I was only in the hospital for like 36 hours, just especially during COVID, you know, they were encouraging people to leave as as quickly as possible, as long as things were okay. And um, that was my story. So I think, I do think I went home a little too early you know, post C-section, just, I remember taking that first trip up my stairs because I live in a two-story home and it was, it was brutal. Oh yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I had stairs with my second mm-hmm. C-section. We had mm-hmm. like a breezeway they'd like pull down and then you have to like climb upstairs to get to the first level and then climb upstairs to get to the seven, second level. And yeah. there were like 15, 16 stairs each set. And I was just like mm-hmm. crawling wow crawling yeah. up them yeah and I was like I'm yeah. not coming downstairs everyone can bring right. food I'm not going yeah, back yeah. down <laughs> yeah I had dinner in the, the, that night or the next few nights yeah same same story I was like I'm not going back down for a while so I dealt with that and yeah overall my feelings around it were I was I was disappointed that I didn't get my vaginal birth but you know, as the weeks went by, my experience when I looked back was okay. Like it was straightforward, no complications and my recovery went well. It it was hard though, as we just talked about, it's easy to glaze over that. And I just knew, or I had started to read already, you know, for pregnant, about pregnancy number two and, you know, how it's extra hard to care for your first child while recovering from a c-section so that was a big uh, motivator for me for my next birth but yeah pretty 
pretty soon after, or I, I remember like sitting in the rocking chair with my daughter and, you know, while she was nap, while I was nap trapped and got, getting on forums, you know, researching about C-section and then, you know, just like having weird, you know, sad feelings about a C-section after birth. I think that was kind of new to me, just like, you know, I, I felt like a lot of feelings of inadequacy or just disappointment around it. And I didn't quite know that that was, you know, normal. And then I think researching that led me to find out that a VBAC was an option. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's interesting to think back to a time when I didn't know what a VBAC was really when right? I like, so, you know, <laughs> I could talk about it for hours now. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, that term VBAC kept coming up. And so I knew that um, in my next pregnancy, that that's what I wanted to aim for in that next birth. So after my daughter uh, turned one in August of 2021, I pretty quickly wanted to start trying again for number two. Just one, I, I was genuinely excited to try and start working towards a VBAC. And, you know, just given my history of infertility, I wanted to just you know, get started sooner than later. So um, we had to use, get help with um, getting pregnant again. And we did a, an IUI and we were lucky enough that it was successful on the first try again. So um, that was in October, uh, September of 2021. I pretty quickly started forming my team, my birth team, just having done already so much research on um, VBAC and knowing that that was essential to success. I did go to my first appointment, my first like OB appointment at my old OB's office and just wanted to pick their brains about what their policy was on VBAC. And they told me that they don't induce for VBACs or, you know, don't induce with a previous cesarean delivery. Mm -hmm. Um, And they would, if, they would give me up until 40 weeks up until my due date to go into labor naturally. But if I didn't, they would schedule a C-section. So I heard that and I was like, yeah, I'm out of here. So I, in the meantime, had joined some local mom groups and my local ICANN chapter Facebook group and had and stumbled upon this group of midwives in the Michigan area that was close to me that was very VBAC uh, friendly. And I read a lot of success stories with that group of midwives. And there was one in particular that whose name kept coming up. So I, I reached out to them and got set up with their group. It, I had to switch like complete hospital systems. It was a little complicated, but it was worth it. So I, I switched providers and I also hired a doula like very early on or like, you know, signed on with her very early on, maybe like nine, 10 weeks into my pregnancy. And she also offered hypnobirthing classes. Um, So my husband and I did those virtually. And that was really cool. You know, like I said, with my first pregnancy, I didn't really get much support to help me towards a vaginal birth. Although I ended up, you know, with my daughter being breech and that was kind of you know, if I had prepared, that wouldn't necessarily have changed things much, but I felt like really well supported this pregnancy through those hypnobirthing classes and just, you know, exploring the more mm, holistic way of prepping for birth. 
Um, and I got really into, I mean, I will say it was towards the end when I really started practicing my hypnobirthing breathing and listening to the meditations. So I did that. And I also started seeing a chiropractor at 20 weeks um, and would went pretty much every week, just especially given my history of having a breech baby. I wanted to optimize my pelvic alignment for that. And so that was really, that was another way that I felt supported, just like just constantly getting like really good, positive feedback from all my providers, like, oh, yeah, you're such a good candidate for VBAC. Um, You're doing all the right things. I also did the spinning babies daily essentials. And I was constantly thinking about my posture and my sitting position. Uh, You know, when I'd be sitting at night on my couch, I'd sit forward um, just again to promote good alignment with the baby's head. I did all the usual, you know, at 34 weeks, I started red, red raspberry leaf tea and 36 weeks started eating dates three times a day. I was walking, I was sitting on my birthing ball a lot more towards the end, just to ideally promote labor to start naturally. Because as I got closer to the end of my pregnancy, the pressure, you know, to go into labor naturally started to build in my head, just because I would, I read that, you know, the best chance of success with a VBAC is going into labor naturally. That was heavy on my mind as it got closer and closer. Um, I live in Michigan and I, but I'm originally from Massachusetts. And so my mom flew out, um, the day before my due date, um, which was my due date was June 17th of 2022. And so when she came out, I felt even more pressure, you know, she was not pressuring me at all, but I just felt like the pressure building, like, okay, the spotlight's on me to go into labor. And I just remember like those, those few days until I did ultimately quote unquote go into labor were very hard emotionally and but they were also nice like I spent it walking with my mom and just doing um activities with my daughter just to pass the time so it was like a time that I was very much present just because I knew I was very much aware that as the days went by that my that I would be going into labor you know would inevitably going be having this baby sooner than later so I went in at 39 weeks for my checkup and I knew I wanted to get checked then. I hadn't been checked up until then. Um, I was tempted to, but I didn't just to avoid the mental gymnastics of dilation and all that. So um, at 39 weeks, my midwife checked me and I was a fingertip dilated, but I was, she said I was very soft and my cervix was very soft and my cervix was 80% effaced. So she was hopeful about that. And I, I had looked, I went home and Googled that and they said that's a good, you know, good place to be for labor to start, you know, eventually, you know, I wasn't totally closed and high or anything like that. And then I had the next checkup at 40 weeks, four days, and I was still the same a fingertip soft cervix, 80% of face. So I was a little discouraged by that. So in the meantime, I had started upping my attempts to induce labor naturally. So I, I started pumping um, at night. I did a lot of curb walking and 
my doula had encouraged me to buy some clary sage essential oil and i guess if you put some on your feet and you and i had my husband massage my feet with the clary sage oil and put press on certain pressure points yeah. on that it could help kickstart labor splain <laughs> six can help i mean a lot of people go mm-hmm. and get like pedicures and then they go mm-hmm. into labor and they're like, oh, what? And like, that's what they're doing is they're massaging down there really good and mm-hmm. can totally mm-hmm. help. Yeah. 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 So, um, so we, I did that, that clear sage and the foot massage the night before I did actually technically go into labor. So I don't know if that helped or if that kickstarted things. So at 40 weeks and five days, it was about nine o'clock in the morning and I was sitting down for breakfast with my daughter and my mom was there. And my, my husband was there, but he was working from home and I went to go stand up and I felt a warm gush of fluid. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. You know, I think I just peed. I, I stopped and said, Oh my God, I think I just peed myself. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cause I never, I never really of all the ways that I thought my labor would start, I never thought it would be with my water breaking. I don't know why. So you always hear that, you know, women are like, that's, you know, I'm just peeing myself. That's not my water breaking, but it it didn't come out in a big, you know, gush, but it was small gushes throughout the morning. Um, I put on a pad and I did notice even from the beginning that the fluid, like my pad was a little yellowish tinged. Um, I didn't think too much of it. Like I was immediately, my mind went to meconium, but um, mm-hmm. I, I thought, you know, that would be more like green or brown. I think I was reading. So I wasn't too concerned about that. And I kind of just went about my morning because I was still skeptical that I wasn't peeing myself and that it was my water. And so like around noon, I was like, I, I, I texted my doula to let her know and she was excited you know that things were happening i did tell her that the pad had a little bit of a yellowish tinge and she texted back that that is likely meconium but to not be too concerned but i once she confirmed that i kind of got anxious just from what i had heard from birth stories you know that's not the best way to start labor is you know one your water breaking first um without really any cramping or contractions afterwards that was the other side of it i didn't really have a lot of cramping afterwards that would indicate that labor was picking up mm-hmm. so once once she told me that was meconium i pretty much was like okay we need to go to the hospital i think in an ideal world just given that i was trying you know to avoid intervention as long as i could that I would maybe hang out at home for a little while longer to see if labor progressed. But it, but once I heard it could have been meconium, I was like, okay, we need to go. So we did. And I, around one o'clock, 1 PM that day, I went to triage and got checked and they confirmed that my water had broken and that there was some light meconium uh, staining as they called it. So I got checked in. Um, we went over my, my birth plan. Like the vibe was very positive and I had submitted a birth plan 
to my midwife and she, yeah, she submitted it to the hospital. And so it was very nice to know that they were on board with my birth plan and they had looked it over the midwife that came in to check me said, you know, I know what your birth plan is and what you want. And that was really nice to hear already to feel supported. So they checked me in and I got into a room and they encouraged me to walk the halls to kickstart labor or to kickstart contractions and also try nipple stimulation with pumping. They recommended pumping for 10 minutes on, 20 minutes off, and also like going in the shower. All the rooms at the hospital I delivered at had a tub and shower. So they encouraged me to go in there and use the the shower head for nipple, nipple stimulation as well, again, to kick, help kickstart contractions. So I did that from one o'clock until 1 p.m. till about 8 p.m. Labor really didn't start up. So around 8.30, the midwife came in and we decided to start Pitocin. I wasn't too keen on it just because I had known, I knew that, you know, starting any intervention like that would could decrease my chances of feedback. But I was also at the same time excited to get contractions going and to get things started just because I knew that I was on somewhat of a clock. They did not, my midwife group did not push, you know, didn't push the time with between when my water broke and when I would have to deliver. They, they didn't put that pressure on me, which was very nice. But in my head, I knew, you know, I personally didn't want, you know, if there was something going on, I didn't want, you know, my baby to be in danger, given mm-hmm. that I, my water had been broken for 12 hours already. Um, you know, it broke at like 9am and this was around 9pm when we started Pitocin and knowing that there was some meconium staining in it, I was just nervous for myself. I, you know, I put faith in my, my midwives, but uh, my midwives, but I knew that I, I was also concerned. So, um, Initially, I start. She started at you know two units of pitocin, and then upped it every hour, I believe, and um, upped it. I want to say by two by two units every hour, and around eleven o'clock, things picked up. I like took a, a selfie of myself in the hospital bed at like ten forty five. I was looking back at my pictures and I was smiling, and then that was the last picture I took. For the remainder of the birth up until my daughter was born um so that's how i know that like at 11 o'clock things start to pick up because i then that's when i went into labor land and full-on contractions my husband and i started timing contractions i was really i was really excited to like feel a contraction i will i will say that like a big part of like i wanted to deliver vaginally of course but one thing that i missed out on with my first birth was, was the labor experience. Cause it was planned. I had no, no, I didn't feel a single contraction in my first, with my first birth. So I was excited to feel that and at least have that experience. And I did get that experience. So that's something that's helped me come to terms with it all. Um, so when the contraction started, I was, I was happy, although I was in pain and we we're just trying different positions. I went into the tub and since I was a V back 
they, I was on continuous monitoring. So being in the tub was hard, but my nurse was great about um, making sure that the monitor stayed on my belly, even when I was, you know, writhing around in pain in the tub and they had the band around my belly and then they put like a sleeve over it to try and like a, like a pantyhose sleeve over it to secure the, the monitor. And, but it did keep moving around and all that, but they, they never made me like get out of the tub or anything and to keep it more, you know, secure that didn't happen. They just worked hard to do their best. And then around five o'clock, 5 a.m. on the next day, I was up to about 12 units of Pitocin. And I was reading back through my notes and my midwife said I wasn't tolerating those contractions very well. So she turned it down to 10 units. And I will backtrack a little bit and say that around, I want to say three o'clock, my doula showed up just because I was, I was in a lot of pain, but I wasn't ready for pain relief yet and just wanted her to come and help me along. So my doula had showed up around 3am. She was very supportive and was helping me through contractions and did encourage me to get into the tub another time, even though, even after I'd gotten out it just was not working for me. It was not giving me pain relief. And the tub wasn't very big. Um, it was kind of like your classic tub. So it was hard to really get a, in a comfortable position. And it even felt like the contractions were worse in the tub. So I didn't, I didn't experience that, that relief that I thought the water might give me. And so around six o'clock or so, we started talking about pain relief you know, me- medication. And they gave me the option for fentanyl, um, which they said would be like a short, you know, short burst of relief or the epidural. I, you know, I was pretty well educated on both options, but I did take a little while to make the decision to ultimately go with the epidural just because I knew again, that it could slur- slow down my labor and, you know, could lead to you know, not achieving my goal to be back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was contracting every two to four minutes at that point. And then the, the, the surges, I guess I haven't been calling them surges as, as we were taught in hypnobirthing. The surges weren't, com- were, were very intense. Um, so around seven o'clock, I got the epidural and I felt some, some relief when they gave it to me. Yeah. When they gave it to me, they, you know, pretty much immediately encouraged me to take a nap. And I was able to close my eyes for like 40 minutes, but didn't sleep too long. I didn't get that like three or four hour nap. And sometimes you get post epidural. And then around 10 o'clock, I said that I was feeling some pubic bone pressure. It was just very intense and just like, I could not ignore it. And it didn't seem like the epidural was touching it much. I, I will say I wasn't using the you know epidural button too much to give me more medication. I don't know why. I don't. I think maybe I was just kind of in labor land and didn't think to use it. But I I did press it a couple times and it didn't really seem to touch the pubic bone pressure. So I had um, the midwife come in and she checked me. Uh, and at that point, you know, around ten o'clock, ten a.m. Uh, I was five centimeters dilated. 
which was exciting. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Really awesome. awesome. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I know. I was still the whole time I was just like in disbelief that I was, you know, living this, you know, living the story that I had heard so many times of, you know, actually getting, having contractions and dilating and all that. But when she checked me, she, I was five centimeters and she, but she also said that the baby was in, was malpositioned. Her chin wasn't um, tucked as it should be. It was kind of up. So that was likely causing the pubic bone pressure and also keeping me from dilating more because they hadn't checked me much. I don't think, I think that was the first time they checked me since I went to triage the previous day um, just because my water had broken and they, you know, try to avoid that as much as they can to reduce the risk of infection. So from, you know, 10 o'clock until three o'clock, we worked on getting the baby to move into a better position so that I could dilate more. And I think the midwife checked me at another point um, between 10 and three, and I hadn't, hadn't progressed at all. And so I think there was a little bit of pressure or just like a little bit of tension with, you know, not dilating during that time. And just given the quote unquote clock that I was on with my water having broken. Um, And so we talked about options for what would happen if I wasn't, if I didn't progress more, but by three o'clock she did check me again and I was seven centimeters dilated and I remember being like oh my gosh that is I'm gonna have my V back but it's happening I remember crying because it was just so I was really concerned that I wasn't gonna progress especially I think I was blaming it on the the epidural which made me you know which made me nervous so that was exciting and right after that from like three to five I took a nap it was a really nice time my, you know, while I was kind of sleeping, my doula was reading me birth affirmations. Up until that point, she had also been helping with different positions as we had tried to move the baby's head down. And I had my head up on the top of the bed, you know, facing face down on the bed, with my head at the top of the bed. And she was just reading me birth affirmations and helping me through contractions. And it was just like, in hindsight, it was just such a nice time. And while I was in a lot of pain, I was enjoying it. I will say a lot of my pain was in, I think I was having back labor. A lot of my pain was in my butt and back area. And my husband, I haven't given him any credit yet, but he was, he was amazing during birth and was like really putting um, counter pressure on my back to help counteract the pain that I was feeling down there. And it was just really, really, really good with how he worked with me and helped me to um, get through each contraction. So that was, that was most of the day. And then I took my nap. I, I woke up around five thirty, and I felt this I felt pubic pain again and then all of a sudden it radiated 
to like the top of my abdomen under the, in the top of my rib cage, and then also radiated up into my clavicle. And immediately I like got on all fours and I was like, I do not feel good. And it was interesting because earlier in the day when I felt that pubic pressure, I was questioning, oh, is this uterine rupture? And my doula said, no, usually if you have uterine rupture, one symptom is you have pain up in your shoulders. And I was like, oh, I don't have that at the time when I first felt that pain. But they had uh, attributed it to malpositioning of the baby. Mm -hmm. Um, And then fast forward to when I said when I was in a lot of pain and saying, I really don't feel good. I did have that pain in my shoulder. And so immediately I was like, oh my God, this is happening. This is, this is rupture. None of the uh, midwives or nurses were like saying that it was, I guess I learned, you know, during all this, that there aren't a lot of easy ways to know if you're have had a rupture. Um, It was kind of up, it was kind of up to me to communicate how I was feeling you know, cause I could have gone along and just, um, you know, ignored that pain or thought it was, you know, maybe related to contractions or the baby moving down, but it was a dis- distinct pain. And at that time I also started throwing up mm. when, but it was at the time that, you know, it could be, could be transition. And like, I think the nurses thought that's what it was, but I think baby baby's uh, doing okay at this point. Yeah, baby, baby was great up until this point. Yeah, in all my notes, it said, you know, fetal heart tones, great. And in the 140s. But after I had that episode or series of episodes of vomiting, the fetal heart rate dropped. So that's when things started to get a little dicey, or they were dicey. Um, It had been, you know, very chill. And, you know, just letting me do my thing up until that point. Um, But then they started, you know, saying that, okay, like we need to start making some decisions because we are having some D cells. And so that, so that was happening at the same time I was dealing with the pain. I, I kind of like forget some of what happened next, but I have pretty good notes that I, from my doctors that help refresh my memory. And, um, one of the OBs came in and I guess, I guess baby had flipped OP. And so one of the OBs came in and actually turned her to be in the right position. So that was, that was great. And I was at that point, I was complete and they gave mm-hmm. me permission to start pushing. Meanwhile, I was still, I was still dealing with this pain and I had become, you know, I think I, I kind of just stopped talking about the pain as much thinking like, Oh, maybe if I don't talk about it, it'll go away. Or, you know, I can still carry on with pushing and, you know, get this all over with and get, get <laughs> my vaginal birth. So they, they gave me a chance to push and I pushed for about an hour. Again, I always hear that it feels like it's, you know, five minutes, but it, it was a full hour of pushing. I, um, it felt like it went by really quickly. I think during this time they had, um, put, they had inserted a, a IUPC, the intrauterine pressure catheter, just as a way to, um, also monitor, 
um, how baby was doing and also kind of to monitor, like to back up the pain I was feeling to see, you know, if anything was off, um, maybe they would pick it up with that because that's the only true way to measure the strength of uterine contractions, I guess. So I, I started pushing and it was a really exciting time. I had all my team around me. I had my doula putting washcloths on my forehead. I had, you know, uh, my husband on one side, my mom was actually there. She was just coming to visit because the rule was I could have two people at my bedside during birth, like two extra support people. My mom was able to come and go at the hospital as she wanted to, but she couldn't be at my bedside. But she walked in at the exact same time that my pain started. And she, you know, it was probably traumatic for her to walk into that because I was not in good shape. I was screaming and vomiting and all that. And everyone was caught up in that. And so she actually, you know, the, you know, I think people forgot about the rule or just kind of ignored it. And she was able to be at my bedside while I was pushing too, which was really cool because having given birth back in August, 2020, I just had my husband um, there, which I'm grateful for, but I didn't have my mom there and I'm very close with her. So it was just like a dream come true to have like my mom there while I was pushing my husband there, my doula, all the midwives there encouraging me and cheering me on. And, um, and they brought over a mirror and I got to see the baby's head. Um, they even brought the, I think pull up bar or whatever and wrapped a sheet around it and had me pull on that to help me. So I call that tug of war, tug <laughs> of war. Yeah. Tug of war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was really great. Um, aside from like the intense pain I was feeling, um, I really didn't feel like I could push effectively. Like I was pushing, but I just couldn't push how I thought I should because of this pain. Cause I felt like if I pushed too hard, something was going to happen, like that something was going to burst. Cause I did have that, you know, in the back of my head that it was probably my uterus rupturing. And like I said, like they kind of trusted me to tell them to make the call, you know, if things weren't feeling right. And, you know, of course I had done all this work and I, yeah, I'd done all this work to prepare for the be back. And I really, really wanted this to happen. Um, and so I, you know, I kind of quieted down about the pain and they let me keep pushing. But then at some point I was like, you know, what I'm doing is either like putting my life and or my daughter's life at, at risk. And I just knew I was being, I just felt kind of selfish, like to continue to push despite having this pain and despite pushing through what my body was telling me to do. I, I, I just knew something wasn't right. Um, they had of course brought up the concept of the C-section around this time, but they were giving me the chance to see if baby could progress further down. But, you know, I was pushing and like I said, I wasn't, you know, I didn't feel effective enough and it reflected because baby was not moving down at the rate that they would have hoped or just, just, and, you know, given that the baby was having heart D cells, that, that was really concerning to them. So I ultimately made the call for the C-section because I just couldn't keep doing, I just couldn't keep doing it. And like I said, I knew something wasn't right. And if I continued to push, 
I was probably putting me or my daughter at risk. So that was around 6.30. And then once I made that call, everything was a flurry. I, you know, I'd had a C-section before, so I know, you know, how things, you know, you know, in the OR, how busy it gets, how quickly it gets busy, but I hadn't had an emergency C-section yet. So that was just, that was just a new experience. And um, it was a lot to go from, you know, pushing and everyone cheering me on to getting prepped for surgery and, you know, getting pulled this way and that way. I and I had said that my epidural wasn't working very well and the OB that had since taken over now that it had kind of taken a turn and that you know it might be heading towards the surgery route you know the midwives had to step back a little bit so and the OBs were in the room and my OB had mentioned something about like we might you know, you might have to be put out and I said you know that was I would go for the C-section, but if I knew that if I had to go under general anesthesia, I was not, I was not going to be good mentally. I did not want that. I did not want to be asleep when my daughter was born. So I did say that I did advocate for that. I said, can't the epidural be converted to a spinal? And the anesthesiologist was already in there and she was uh, optimistic about that. I forget why, you know, it might not have happened, you know, why it's hard to convert one to the other, but I knew that was a thing that could be done. And so I pushed for that. I said multiple times, I do not want to go. I don't want to be put to sleep. So I'm happy about that (laughs) at least. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I walked, I, I forget if I walked or was wheeled to the OR. But I was in so much pain at that point. I like couldn't wait for the spinal because I knew the relief that it gives. Like, you know, you feel nothing from, you know, kind of the neck down. Um, So I couldn't wait for the spinal. Yeah. Um, And at that point, my doula, she said, you know, she was going to leave. You know, I was just about to step into the OR and she said she was going to leave because my husband, I I don't know what the rules were, but I believe that, you know, just my husband or one support person could go into the OR with me. And my mom was still there at that time. So she could be waiting in recovery for me. So my doula said that she was going to leave, um, but that she'd check in with me the next day. And so I remember going into the ER or the OR and I, you know, I'd just done that, done this less than two years ago. So I remember the whole, you know, story of how it goes and, you know, you know, getting the spinal and then laying me down quickly and um, doing the timeout. And then the surgery started and I didn't, I wasn't like sad at that time. I had, my focus had shifted to, you know, is the baby going to be okay? And so during surgery, uh, they, at one point they said, yeah, you had a rupture. So I knew that so what did. I did, they confirmed it like a full <laughs> rupture. Um, so my doctor said, it depends on who you ask. Um, so what, hmm. what ended up happening was it was not a complete or catastrophic rupture. Like a dehiscence? It was, exactly. Yes. Okay. A dehiscence. Yeah. It was like a three centimeter dehiscence that was not, you know, coming from my scar at all. It was in my 
uterine wall elsewhere, mm. um, down below, like lower in my abdomen, but not near my scar. So, and there was amniotic fluid and meconium leaking out of it into my mm. abdomen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, all the while I was still feeling this pain and this clavicle pain is what became like my primary pain during all of it. During the surgery, they said, you know, or I, I kept trying to move because I was just in so much pain. And the anesthesiologist said, you have to sit still. You have to sit still. Um, so that was hard. very hard. Yeah. So once I was in surgery, my focus shifted to my daughter. And then I had, I had requested as I was going to the OR, I requested a, a clear sheet, just like trying to fumble for, you know, ways I could make this a gentle C-section as best I could. I didn't really prepare for that. I didn't put that in my birth plan, what, I, you know, what to do in the, in the chance of a C-section. Um, so I asked for the clear drape and, but I don't think my daughter was doing well enough when she came out to drop the drape. Um, they never did. And I'm assuming that's why, because I've also gone through and read her notes and she, you know, her, her FGAR score at one minute was a four and she wasn't doing so great. And she had to be resuscitated somewhat. And then, and then by five minutes, her FGAR was a nine, but they did say that, that her cord gases were concerning. Mm-hmm. So they did end up having to take her to the special care nursery. But mm-hmm. I, but as you saw in the picture, I, was able to be with my daughter for some time. Like I got a picture with her. Yeah. She was there for a a while. Again, it felt like I was in there for five minutes, but you know, I was in there for probably an hour and a half. So I had my husband go with her to the special care nursery. Once they said they had to take her and I was just there. And yeah, as they were sewing me back up, they, they did something that just like made me, pressed on my uterus. I forget what they were doing, but they probably pressed on my uterus. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. They're it, checking it, for bleeding and clots and those types of things. Okay. Maybe. And maybe probably the fundal height. Yeah. They did something and, but it, it made me scream the pain <laughs> that, mm. um, that it caused. So that was a little traumatic, but eventually I, was wheeled out to recovery and my mom was there and luckily my daughter was only had to be in the special care nursery for two hours I believe and I was reunited with her in recovery and she latched right away and all that good stuff so I was very grateful for that shortly after my OB who did the surgery came in and started talking to me about you know the rupture and she she did call it a hissence um, but she said in her book, like any sort of, you know, tearing in the uterus is a rupture. Um, and she told me that, you know, I could get pregnant again, but, you know, I'd have to wait. I think at the time she said 18 months to conceive again. And then she went on to say that like a future pregnancy would be very closely monitored and that I would have to deliver between 36 and 37 weeks. So that that was um, pretty that was pretty heavy for me yeah, and still something that I am still working through. So I guess um, I feel most, most sad about just like the repercussions of trying for the VBAC on future Mm -hmm. pregnancies, just Mm because I tell myself, you know, if I had gone for a repeat C-section, you know, none of this would have happened and I could have gone forward and 
I guess tried for a V back, you know, two C. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, but as I thought about it, if I hadn't tried, I would have been very disappointed. Like I had, I had to try at that point. So I'm glad, you know, I got, I got my birth, like my labor experience that I had hoped for. Like I said, I, you know, got to that point where I was pushing and everyone was cheering around me and I had my doula and I was doing the position changes and getting in the tub and birth affirmations and all of that. But I didn't end up, you know, getting to deliver vaginally, which was a big part of my goal and still something I am working through. Mm -hmm. But after the fact, I did realize that, you know, my daughter could have been they know things could have turned out worse Mm -hmm. for sure so i'm very grateful for her health and my health i did have some complications after the birth you know i was i had to go to er twice in the week after her birth because i had this debilitating pain in my ribs and still in my clavicles um and they ended up telling me that it was you know just trapped air which sounds silly compared no, to how much pain I was in. It's not silly. I had that with my second C-section. Really? It's no joke. No yeah. Jo- I'm like, I just want to poke a hole right here in my shoulder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it was so yeah. bad. Yeah. 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 I was, I was, uh, yeah. Whenever I moved, it was like debilitating pain. It was crazy. So that, so it was trapped air. And then also, as I mentioned, the meconium and amniotic fluid had gone out yeah. into my abdomen. So that was causing a lot of irritation. So, yeah, so the first week of my daughter's life, I was in and out of the ER and I had to have a a CAT scan at one point and, you know, drink the contrast and they recommend not breastfeeding and pumping and dumping for Mm -hmm. one to two days after that. So I did have to give her formula for a day. Mm -hmm. Um, At the time I was like, whatever, everything's gone to, (laughs) everything's gone, not how I had planned. So whatever. I guess I'll give her formula for a day, but it was just a day and it is what it is. Yeah. So, but it impacted you too. So try not mm-hmm. to discredit that, right? Like, right. It's like when I, yeah. it's like when everyone's like, oh, yeah, but your, your baby's okay and you're okay. And you're like, mm-hmm. well, yeah. And I'm happy mm-hmm. about that, but that doesn't mean I'm not upset about the other things. Mm-hmm. And, and right. that's one of the biggest things. Like, it's okay to, be grateful for a safe mom, safe baby and everyone being okay, mm-hmm. but it's totally mm-hmm. okay to mm-hmm. grieve and to feel mm-hmm. upset or even mad or sad. I mean, mm-hmm. have those emotions. If you don't allow yourself mm-hmm. to have those emotions, there's no, you, we, we can't start healing. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I want to talk a couple things. One be dehiscence it's not a word that a lot of people hear and like you said like it yeah. depends on the provider it depends on who you're talking to because mm-hmm. most providers correct it's like if you had a dehiscence it was a rupture right mm-hmm. so there are three layers layers to the uterus and if the uterine scar opens up partially but yours didn't mm-hmm. um stretching mm-hmm. the scar out you know it can cause that bottom layer to to tear up and, and you yours is in a different place but it means mm-hmm. it's not through all the layers. And that's what they categorize mm-hmm. as a dehiscence. 
where mm. it was starting and, and very, very proud of you for following your heart and following your mind because you were like something's off. And, and it's so hard because you were in that so close moment of like, mm-hmm. I can do this. Like the baby's <laughs> right there. I can see my baby's head. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I can't imagine the banter that went through your mind mm-hmm. of like, but I'm so close to the birth I want, but mm-hmm. something's not feeling right. And mm-hmm. so be proud of yourself for really following that mm-hmm. intuition. I mean, we talk about that a lot here, right? This intuition and, and the intuition is strong and mm-hmm. it doesn't usually bring fear. It brings fact, right? So like, right. yeah. Yeah, it's like, yep, this is not mm-hmm. right, and this sucks. Mm-hmm. This isn't what I wanted. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I'm, I have to make this decision, and so, um, yeah. So there's, there's uterine window, uterine dehiscence, and then mm-hmm. uterine rupture, full rupture, and sometimes mm-hmm. even a window, um, they'll document as a rupture sometimes mm-hmm. on op reports, and so it's really important to kind of like give it a a look, but still, yep. I mean, it happened and. It sucks. It really sucks. I mean, it mm-hmm. doesn't happen yep. often and we don't know even why it happens, but mm-hmm. it happens. And I'm so glad that you guys are okay. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you were able to have your baby on your chest and, and mm-hmm. be, you know, be with your baby a little bit more. So um, I also want to talk about like how to cope when you don't get your V back that mm-hmm. it's hard. It's really, it's hard. I can't say that it's easy. I can't say that I didn't cry my eyes out. Mm-hmm. I mean, ugly cry, right? Like sobbing, even though my second C-section was a healing experience, which I'm grateful for, but I didn't want that birth, right? That's not the way I wanted to give birth. And, mm-hmm. and I had to process it. And so not, not getting your V back and processing it. So what would you, what tips would you give? And I'm sure you're still healing and processing. Um, mm-hmm. but what tips would you give to our listeners who may not have ended in a VBAC or may not end in a VBAC for processing and working through, um, Mm -hmm. working through that. Yeah. So, I mean, my biggest tip would be for, you know, would go out to people who are trying for a VBAC right now would just be to, to definitely explore, you know, being okay with things not going to plan. Cause I think that dictates how you can cope with, things afterwards um so it's i think if i had gotten ahead of it a little bit and you know listened to more seaback stories and just written on my birth plan what i would want in the event of a c-section and you know just trying you know it's it's such a hard balance of you know wanting to stay positive and keeping those negative thoughts out of your mind but also not negating the fact that there is a chance, you know, because I thought I had, you know, I definitely did not think I would have uterine rupture. Um, You know, I just had a history of a, uh, I just had a breach planned, planned C-section for a breach baby. Um, And so I'm just, so I had no, no indication that I would have a rupture. Um, So I think just exploring that and not not pushing away those feelings that come up when you see see back stories um you know on the facebook groups you know i would even like ignore those you know and just focus on only on the back success stories mm-hmm. um so i think if i had just surrounded myself by with more of that 
more of the alternative, I would have come out a little bit stronger. Still would have been hard and it is hard, but I think if I could go back in time, that's what I would have done. And for, you know, people who are women who have had a seaback and have their story about how things didn't go according to plan, I would say to, you know, get help and not be afraid to get help. I'm lucky that um, the hospital I delivered at has like a program to follow up with women who have had traumatic births, who have a history of, you know, anxiety or other mental illness, which I do have a history of anxiety. And so I was flagged for a consult from a midwife who's also a therapist or works with therapists who will will give you help to process your birth. You know, Mm -hmm. they're not, it's not just any old therapist, they're they're a birth trauma specialist. So um, that was really amazing. Uh, In hindsight, I mean, it still doesn't fix anything, but I think having someone there to support you, you know, you can talk to your family about it, talk to your, your spouse about it, but you know, they, they are not in your head and they don't know, you know, really how truly, truly invested you were in it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, you know, and you know, you do get a lot of, uh, you know, you should be happy. Um, One tip that I've with working with my therapist is, you know, every time you go to think a negative thought about like, oh, this is all my fault or I did this wrong and that's why I ended up not having a V back is to replace it with a positive thought. You know, if you're blaming your body for not doing such and such, um, replace it with something that your body did do. And Mm -hmm. for me, that was my body gave me you know, a very strong message that things were not right. And that probably saved, you know, likely saved me and my daughter's life. And so when I go to think those negative thoughts about, you know, what I could have done differently, I try to replace it with something, you know, with that thought or something similar to how my body did, did work with me during that Mm -hmm. process. So that's been really helpful. And I think that could be helpful for other women listening too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, you know, we say it all too often. We hear it all Mm -hmm. too often. Failed Mm -hmm. VBAC. Failed. The Mm -hmm. word failed. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but we did not bleepity bleep, bleepity bleepity bleep, fail. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like there's Mm -hmm. no failing in birth. And it sucks that we have even incorporated that word. And then we use it to like failure to progress, right? Like we use it as though mm-hmm. the medical term, the medical term, like failure to progress, like that's what the medical providers use it as. And we do, we, we reference that, but holy cow, like there's no failing. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it's important to know that. And yes, like, oh my, like for me, like, oh, my body didn't make it past three centimeters the first time, one centimeter the second time. Like, Mm -hmm. I can't do it. My doctor even told me, yeah, you won't be able to, right? But Mm -hmm. like, that's not true. And and I just needed to, I love that you said that, like fill my body, fill my mind with some positive. Like, look what it Mm -hmm. did do. Look what Mm -hmm. it did achieve. Look what I achieved. Look how hard, Mm -hmm. hard, look how Mm -hmm. hard of a thing I did. Yeah. You know, so I love that. 
I love that so much. Um, mm-hmm. So we are going to have a uterine rupture blog and how to cope with it after, if you don't get your V back um, in the mm-hmm. show notes, but something else I really want to include in the show notes is your website. Um, <laughs> I love what you do and we'll make sure to of course tag you and everything mm-hmm. in the post, but I love what you're doing. You're, I mean, you, so you're a registered dietitian, which mm-hmm. a lot of people write us and they say, Hey, what are some ways? Like I, ha- I already had my baby. I'm six months postpartum. I want to start really working on this prep early for my mm-hmm. future VBAC. Right. And mm-hmm. one of the things they're like, what can I do? And one of the number one things, I mean, there's so many things like education, finding a good supportive provider and all of those things, but truly it's working on our whole self. And that that's mm-hmm. mentally, we got to work through previous traumas and fears and, and work through that, but also mm-hmm. nutrition, nutrition mm-hmm. and exercise is so important. And you help with pregnancy, postpartum, you talk about intuitive eating, you even help with fertility. So before we go, I would love for you to just kind of share, cause I, you do online stuff, right? Yep. Yep. I see clients virtually all over the country. Um, I'm based in Michigan right now. So a lot of my clients are from Michigan, but I see clients in other States as well. Um, and I work from an intuitive eating uh, mindset, you know, trying not to focus on dieting and numbers and all that, but trying to, you know, just as we've talked about in this episode, learn to trust our bodies when it comes to, you know, our hunger cues and eating and Mm -hmm. how we like to move our bodies, you know, finding movement that we genuinely enjoy, not movement, you know, not exercise that we dread. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that's especially important during pregnancy when, you know, you really have to listen to your body truly um, and what it's telling you. So, yeah, yeah, I, that's what I do. Awesome. And you even help with like snack and meal plans. I mean, this is something that like, absolutely just as a busy mom in general, like it's really hard. And mm-hmm. then when you're prepping and you're like, okay, I'm raising one, two, three, four, however many kids <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. doing all of the other things around the house. I'm trying to educate myself for this feedback. I'm trying to do all these things. We, we sometimes forget to serve ourselves with our, with our food. So I love that. Like mm-hmm. if I could just have that, you know, plan, it would be so nice to be like, Oh, this is what I'm going to eat today. Instead of like, what do I eat today? Oh, I'll just grab that quick snack. Um, yep. that's maybe not so healthy for me because I'm so hungry, you know, but I love right. that you do that. So we will make sure it's bloom nutrition, bloom nutrition. Is that yes. correct? Yes. Um, yep. And we will make sure to put that in the show notes and make sure to tag you. So if you were listening, go hang out, check in the show notes or go hang out on her page, check her out through Instagram, Facebook. We'll have all of that listed um, because truly it, it is important. It is really, really important. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for sharing thank your you story, so for being vulnerable. I know that that had to have been hard in the moment, but I'm so proud of you. And I, I really, I really am so proud of you. And I hope you know that you are a woman of strength and you are so strong and you are capable of so many things. And even though the birth didn't happen the way you desire, I know that your daughter way down the road, your son, any kids that you have in the future, right? They're going to love you and say, thank you for bringing me here today. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been great to be here. An honor, truly. Thank you. Thank you. 
Interested in sharing your VBAC story on the podcast? Submit your story at thevbacklink.com slash share. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.